This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory. It was Peter who came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the community sins against me, how often should I forgive them? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven, but 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him and As he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and his children and all of his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before the master, saying, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay me what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I'll pay you. But he refused. And he went and he threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then the Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you. All that debt because you pleaded with me, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace from Jesus who loves us because the Bible tells us so. You know this. I know, I know you do. You probably don't know. You know, so let's, let me go through it. Alexander Pope, a poet, 1734, wrote this great thing called The Essay of Man. I know that was way back in undergraduate years for probably all of us. But you know this famous quote, so I want you to fill in the blank. To err is human, and to forgive is divine. You knew it. This is the one I think you're probably more familiar with, the contemporary version of that. Uh, To err is human, and to forgive is damn near impossible. (laughs) And you know this story today. You've heard it before. This guy owes someone $10,000. That's... Uh, talents, talents. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. Put it put it in perspective because uh, this is an absurd story, absolutely absurd, F- filled with all kinds of exaggeration by Jesus and intentionally. So, a talent <clears throat> was uh, the equivalent of a, a year's wages. A slave owes the master ten thousand years of wages. 2015 median income, United States of America, 55,000. He owes the company store 500 million. 
How does he even do that? How do you get that kind of debt? And, and what does he even mean? Have patience, I'll pay you everything that I owe. How's he going to do that? Now imagine that somehow, some way, he gets that debt forgiven. Tell me, you'd be doing like the happy dance everywhere you went, like the lottery winners. Everybody you know would know that you'd been forgiven all that debt. You'd be more than a little relieved, and this much I know for sure, you'd never forget it. But not this little weasel. Somehow he thinks he's deserved it, that he earns it. Dug himself a $500 million hole and thinks he's earned forgiveness. After being forgiven $500 million, one of his co-workers, one of his fellow laborers in the master's field, one of his fellow slaves, who's watched this whole thing go down, is emboldened to say to his friend and his co-worker, to, to frankly, to beg, maybe you would consider, and if not, you know, I, I understand, maybe you'd consider forgiving me that 18000 that I've managed to run up in the company store those months that I couldn't work and those months that I could only come in at night and after my child had that surgery, maybe you could forgive that. But not our little weasel. He has his friend thrown into jail. When her master hears about it, and you knew he was going to hear about it, he has the weasel thrown into jail and tortured. Yikes. I hope that's an exaggeration. Until he can repay the debt fully. 500 million. How's he going to do that ever? There's a part of that, and I, I will admit this, that I think is absolutely delicious. Got what he deserved. Kind of sense of self-righteousness, I guess. But then, the more I sat with it this week, dang, I realized that Jesus, the master teacher, master storyteller, somehow managed to point the finger at me with even me knowing it, the weasel is me in the store. I have been shown so much mercy in my life, so much mercy, uh, 65 years of mercy, 45 years as pastor of mercy. Who am I to judge someone? Who am I to struggle to forgive? Who am I to not have mercy on someone And that's what the reading is about. It's about mercy, extravagant, radical, relentless, over-the-top, never-ending mercy, fountain of all forgiveness. And I'll just say it the way we know it in southern Indiana. Mercy ain't mercy if somehow you deserve it. And I don't. And you don't either. One of the values at Lord of Life Church is that prayer is necessary for our relationship with God and with each other and, and with the world. And that's why whenever we gather, it doesn't matter what kind of group we're in, we, we, we pray. And it's why every Sunday, every time we come to the Lord's table, millions of Christians all over the world go to God in prayer. And they use the same prayer. Same prayer for 2,000 years. We ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. And we use different words that might make it a little bit confusing, but the point's all the same. Trespasses, deaths, sins, all the same. It's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, the one prayer he taught them. And we're still praying it every Sunday, 2,000 years. I pray it every day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
how serious are you about taking that to God in prayer? I have a hard time getting past my weasel. I mean, there's something very difficult about forgiving someone who's wronged you or hurt you or lied about you or undermined you or attacked you or whatever, and all those things are real, but it's really hard to forgive. Monday was, it was 9-11. You saw the signs, you saw the tweets, you saw the Facebook posts. Never forget, never forget, never forget. Try to work that into the Lord's Prayer. Help us never forget. Fifteen years, what we call the war on terror. How's that for an oxymoron? War on terror. Or is it terror on war? Which one? And I don't want to minimize the the efforts for sure, definitely not the sacrifices and and not the evil and not the destruction of terrorism. But 15 years, at what cost? Thousands have died. And I honor their service, and I also grieve the destruction of several Middle Eastern cultures. What all the money and all the time and all the energy could have been spent on, all of the intangible adjustments that we are facing, the fear, the polarization, the fear-mongering that's invaded our lives, maybe most costly of all is the sense of malaise that there is no hope. Peace on earth, what a, what a novel idea, but damn near impossible. We have essentially in our never forgetting, imprisoned ourselves by our fear and our anger and our unwillingness to forgive as God has forgiven us. It was in this pulpit, Kevin Pinvos, LIC student, three weeks after September 11, uh, young, still in seminary, now highly successful pastor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, he sent five students from his parish to go to seminary, it's really exciting. But Kevin was almost run out of this congregation for saying this. We ought to put a sign out front that says, we forgive Osama bin Laden. Now, Kevin was right. So there's a story about Sidney Pollock's 2005 film. It's in it. The film's called The Interpreter. There's a story in the middle that still haunts me. I've been searching internet. I, I I can't. I can't get the veracity of the story, but I'm telling it anyway. Basically, he names the elephant in the room. Uh, do we go on avenging our enemies, or do we find a way to somehow practice the forgiveness and the mercy and the compassion that God calls us to? And in doing so, in doing that, experience the freedom that would be ours in Christ. The film's about an interpreter of the United Nations. Her name's Sylvia, and she tells a story of what she called a ritual of forgiveness in Africa that was based on the principle of the only way to end hurt and grief is to not take a life, but to save a life. And this is how the ritual worked. I can't verify the story, but the ritual works like this, that after a year of mourning, when someone in your family has been murdered by someone else, after a year of mourning, and I think time does, does help, doesn't make it go away, but it does help, After a year of mourning, the family of the victim is taken to the river by the community, and then the victim's killer is tied up and thrown into the river to drown. And the family of the victim has to decide right then and there whether they will let the killer drown and have justice and vengeance, 
but spend the rest of their lives angry? Or will they save the killer from drowning and accept that they somehow share a common humanity and a common thread, even in the midst of evil, and that their act of saving a life might somehow heal their grief? Now, whether, whether there is or not a drowning man trial, I, 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 I don't know, but I, I can really understand that dilemma. Do we forgive as we have been forgiven, and in so doing, find healing, or do we seek justice and vengeance and punishment and, as a result, find ourselves trapped in grief and bitterness? There's a real-life version of this story. Um, post-apartheid, South Africa, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Most of you will know that name. He was raised in Soweto. Soweto was, uh, we always say ghetto. Ghetto sounds like something in the U.S. Uh, ghetto in South Africa was uh, a farming pen where you kept people with brown skin. They came to work at your house and they went home before the sun went down to Soweto. And uh, he had seen many of his friends and relatives and members of his church imprisoned and even killed for pushing the boundaries, for crossing the lines, from daring to suggest that we are all loved by God by daring to do justice. And when apartheid ended, the South African people faced an unbelievable dilemma. Um, Should they just live out the script of probably every oppressed people in history where the formerly oppressed now become the oppressors? Do you just turn the tables upside down and start beating up on the other guy? Or... Was there a different path? Was there a different way that would lead to healing for the oppressed and for the oppressors? And that's where Dr. Desmond Tutu came into play, Methodist bishop. They chose a different path. They formed something called the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. It had more power than the president or the parliament. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Instead of handing out punishment, The whole idea was to give the victims of racism a chance to simply tell their stories and have their suffering acknowledged and to confront their oppressors, but also to give the oppressors a chance to tell the truth about their crimes and to seek forgiveness from someone. They had no idea how it would work. But the stakes were so high and vengeance and retribution were so obviously a dead end when it came to racial separation. Here's what happened. Time after time, oppressed and oppressor came together in a courtroom and experienced genuine reconciliation. If you know anything about geopolitical history, That is a modern miracle, and a modern miracle in racial reconciliation. And that we don't know that story says something about us and about this country. One of the reasons that it worked in South Africa and one of the reasons that our individualistic culture won't try it is it's all based on a foundational African principle. And the principle is called Ubuntu. And honestly, I wouldn't know a thing about it if I hadn't been to the 2003 ELCA Youth Gathering in St. Louis, uh, 40,000 ELCA youth gathered in St. Louis for a youth gathering. 
and I want to be really honest about that for you all. Let's make sure we name the things in the room. 40,000 Lutheran youth is what, like 39,700 privileged white kids? And Bishop Desmond Tutu was the keynote speaker. Hmm. A little commercial. Next youth gathering is next summer. First meeting today, talk about whether you're going or not. Kids in this parish are trying to decide whether they're going to spend a week serving Jesus. It's in Houston. Hurricane Harvey hassled Houston. 40,000 kids with the opportunity to serve right where it's needed. But back to 2003, I learned that year that Ubuntu is a a Zosa word, a sub-Saharan language word, and it stands for the idea, the the bedrock idea, not something we have to enact, but the truth, the, the, the natural law that we are all in this together, that we share in common humanity, that we're all part of the same body, I think Paul would say, that when you hurt, I hurt, when I hurt, you hurt, when our neighbors hurt, we hurt. Ubuntu means, Ubuntu is an understanding that the only way the human family can survive, all of us, is together. The only way. Which means that when we look to another human being, regardless of color, culture, religion, orientation, nationality, and I know that sounds like political correctness to some of you, but when we look at another human being, even someone who has wounded us, even someone who has hurt us or oppressed us, even someone who owes us, we must see a fellow human being, a sister, a brother. We must acknowledge that we share a common humanity. We must understand that every one of us is loved and precious, that Jesus loves every one of us. So what about that weasel? (laughs) So forgiven and yet so rude to others. What about those who have hurt me and disagreed with me or held me to a higher standard? And what about Jesus who let them nail him to a cross and who wouldn't even curse them but said, Father, forgive them? And what about, what about us? What about the church? This much I, I know Uh, we have been forgiven so very much and we're called to rejoice in that, celebrate that, revel in that, share that. And we're called to trust that we can forgive others as we've been forgiven. Amen.